Hello, everybody. I'm the founder and lead investigator of CBUS Paranormal, Jonathan Robson, and you are listening to the CBUS Paranormal Parrotcast. This is episode one entitled Life After Death. On today's episode, I'll be discussing how I became involved in the paranormal field, the types of hauntings, and what our team considers as paranormal evidence. I'm not going to lie, creating this podcast has been quite the learning experience, but I think it'll help you guys have a better understanding of what our team is actually about. I'm looking forward to sharing our past experiences and beliefs with all of you. This podcast, like other podcasts, will evolve with each episode. It'll certainly take a little time to figure out our format and to work out some of the bugs as we go. I do think it's important to remember that even the most successful podcast had some issues at the beginning that were eventually ironed out with time. In our case, we've decided to start our first few episodes of the Paracast with one host. However, if everything goes as planned, my co-host Michael Hale will be joining us in a few episodes. This will give us a little extra time to work out some of the production issues, and also still get content out to all of you in the meantime. I would also expect the length of our episodes to get longer as we get more familiar with this process. I must admit, I have been blown away by the amount of downloads that have come across our dashboard for the show's trailer. Our podcast feed is currently being accessed all across the globe, and I can't thank you guys enough for the interest and support. That being said, our team has been in the paranormal field for over 10 years now. I think we have plenty of content to bring to the table and discuss. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to the CBUS Paranormal Paracast on your favorite podcasting platforms. This will help you receive notifications from our podcast feed and will also help alert you when new episodes are available. The Paracast can currently be accessed through several of the top podcasting apps, such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many more. We have also set up a Patreon account. Do you want extra content, behind-the-scenes footage, early listening access, or even ad-free episodes? You can help the show by making a small monthly donation for additional content. Visit the show's Patreon page for details, and remember, you can cancel at any time. I think this would be a good time to give the history of our team and how we got into the ghost hunting field. For our new listeners that may not be familiar with the investigation group, the CBUS Paranormal Team was founded in Central Ohio in 2011. Since that time, we've investigated some of the most haunted locations in the United States, and we've prided ourselves on looking at each case with a skeptical, yet open-minded viewpoint. I had a pretty long and strange journey to get into the paranormal field. I remember talking about wanting to investigate when I was in high school. The ghost hunting shows had just started to come to the mainstream, and I always thought it was cool to see what historic buildings would end up on the show Ghost Hunters. I just loved watching the history of the locations, and I found the show to be interesting. After school, I would play guitar in a death metal band for nearly a decade. Eventually, the band would dissolve, and I would get into music production. I'd go around filming local bands for a webcast at the time, and ironically, one of the first places we got to film segments for was the Ohio State Reformatory. During that time, my co-host Ryan Bumgardner and I decided to do a mini-investigation while we were there. Ironically, we had a few strange occurrences during our filming sessions, and I was bit by the paranormal bug from there. Our team officially formed in 2011, and we didn't look back. Eventually, we would travel to some of the most well-known haunted locations in the United States, and I fell into a book publishing deal a few years later. 
I was co-author with our friend Jeff Cole on the book Ghostly Encounters, Confessions of a Paranormal Investigator. I'm proud of my involvement with the book, but it was written more from Jeff's viewpoint. He's more of a believer in ghosts than I am. Personally, I still consider myself a skeptic to this day. I'm certainly open-minded. I've seen some odd things, and I've heard some odd things. But I'm not ready to make a full commitment definitively saying that ghosts exist. I do personally believe there are a lot of logical explanations for what people experience. But I also acknowledge there are some things that have yet to be fully explained. Ironically, one of our favorite locations came under financial peril in 2017. And I accepted a board member, part-time ownership role, the historic Prospect Place Mansion. This would also unfortunately put an end to the team's investigations for quite some time. The ordeal was a very time-consuming commitment, but we were able to turn the location around. The mansion is currently in the best shape financially and physically that it's been in quite some time. I did end up resigning from my role in 2021, and I decided it was time to get back into paranormal investigating. I've already started scouting locations to investigate in 2022 and I'm looking forward to coming out of retirement. For our first episode, I wanted to take a little time to discuss the types of hauntings that our team can come across during an investigation. If we determine a location as being possibly active, we will likely use one of the following terms to classify the possible haunting. So without any further ado, let's get right into the types of hauntings and why they occur. Up first is the residual haunting. A residual haunting is the most common of the three types of hauntings we typically come across. The spirit, entity, or whatever you want to call it, appears to be unaware of us. In some cases, it appears that it might be stuck in time, or even repeating some sort of event in a continuous loop. When I think of residual haunts, I think of the countless reports of individuals and visitors claiming to see Union and Confederate soldiers in Gettysburg. Sometimes folks will even claim to see apparitions of dead soldiers marching or in some sort of activity on a battlefield, unaware of what is going on around them, possibly repeating a prior event. Then you have a place like Prospect Place Mansion. The common residual reports are of footsteps, which I've encountered multiple times. You'll get the sounds that appear to be boots walking across the floor for about two or three minutes, and then the activity ceases. It happened quite a few times during the time I was one of the owners, and it just seemed to happen whenever it wanted to, without rhyme or reason. Most investigators commonly refer to the stone tape theory as a possible explanation for this. The stone tape theory consists of investigators' speculation that ghosts and hauntings are similar to tape recordings, and that mental impressions during an emotional or traumatic events can be projected in the form of energy. This energy in turn is recorded on the rocks, stones, and other items, and is replayed under certain conditions. There are similar beliefs tied to electricity, railroads, flowing water, etc. However, all of this is theory-based and is purely speculation. We refer to the second type of haunting as an intelligent haunting. Intelligent hauntings are unique and, in my opinion, extremely rare. There are a few things we look for when evaluating this type of haunting. In these cases, the perceived entity seems to be aware of us. It'll be able to communicate through our audio, and will often seem to answer the questions that we may ask. When I think of an intelligent haunting, I think back to my first investigation at the Ohio State Reformatory. 
At the time, I was completely inexperienced, and I didn't really know what to expect. I distinctly remember sitting in the dark side of solitary. Ryan and I were slowly asking questions and hoping for some sort of response. At the time, I thought I heard something very faint, and I acknowledged it out loud. Apparently, whoever or whatever was trying to communicate with us picked up on this, and it seemed to follow us for quite some time. We both had a gut feeling that we weren't alone at the time, and even acknowledged this during the incident. During our audio and video review, we noticed that after we acknowledged it, it seemed to become more persistent. We received quite a few EVPs in the minutes that followed. The entity seemed to follow us outside of solitary confinement and up the west cell block. The common message was simply, help. Its voice was very odd-toned, and it would show up on the audio at strange times. Who or what was it? That, of course, is up for debate. However, we know there was a guard that was murdered in solitary at one point, and whatever it was, was aware of us and wanted our attention. I also look at cases like the Vliska Axe Murder House, with the same type of parameters. I went into that investigation trying to stir up some sort of activity. It was a surreal and sad investigation where we had to come to the terms of the fact that we were literally investigating an unsolved crime scene, where a family was destroyed in one of the worst ways possible. My attempt to get a response involved reading the confession of Reverend Kelly, who was one of the main suspects of the murders. After not getting anything for several minutes, we left the house and went to the outside break area. The recorders were still rolling, and a child's voice came across in an extremely somber tone and stated either he or they killed us all. And I remember sitting down and doing the investigation review for this investigation. Coming across it, and I literally stopped everything I was doing. I saved the file and shut everything else down, and I didn't touch it for over a week. That one hit me really hard, and I feel it was a direct response to the confession I had just read. Even as someone that considers themselves a skeptic, that was a very powerful audio response for me. And that leads us to the third type of haunting, what some people call non-human malevolent, or even demonic. I personally don't refer to this type of haunting as demonic. I honestly think a lot of these types of cases seem to be based on superstitions and fear. If ghosts do exist, I believe they'd be tied to similar personality traits that they had in life. That being said, we all have different personality characteristics, good, bad, and otherwise. There's a certain entertainment value or spook factor that's tied to this field. I think stories and events can greatly be influenced by an individual's personal beliefs, religion, or overall opinions. Most of the shows on TV these days rely on the scare factor, and I think that demonic hauntings are now somewhat ingrained in the human psyche as being a normal event. If you're a fan of the popular television show on the Travel Channel, bro, you would think that every investigation involves this type of haunting, which any experienced investigator knows that isn't the case. I'm not sure if the host is the unluckiest person in the world, or if he has some severe mental health issues that need to be addressed. That being said, we have encountered claims of investigators being scratched, pushed, or possibly affected by some unknown force. I personally don't consider these incidents as evidence, but I will make sure to take note of the event and document them as personal experiences. Are these events paranormal in nature? Possibly. 
but there are a lot of factors that may account for these incidents. Our team's job has always been to document possible phenomenon. We've never taken the stance that we can get rid of something that we can't even prove exists. I know some other teams claim to be able to do this, however I've not seen any proof that this is even remotely possible. Unfortunately, the paranormal field hasn't evolved very much over the years, and teams seem to rely on the same passed-down techniques, stories, and theories from generations that are long gone. To this day, I've never encountered something that I would personally consider demonic. This episode was sponsored by our good friend Spencer Shepard at B&B Ornamental Concrete, located in Shelby, Ohio. They have some awesome pieces for your yard or garden, such as gargoyles, sasquatches, bird baths, gnomes, even dinosaurs. Protect your front yard or garden. My wife came home to a sasquatch and a dinosaur in our yard this week. They make a great gift for your significant other and loved ones. Visit BNB Concrete on Facebook or email bnbconcreteman at gmail.com. I would also like to take this time to give a shout out to our friends Jason and Jay at Sasquatch GQ Energy Drinks. I had the chance to buy a few cases recently at the Woodville Market, and it's by far the best energy drink out there. They have a regular and sugar-free edition. Rumor has it that they may be finding their way into Walmart in the near future. Make sure to visit their website at sasquatchgqenergydrinks.com and find out what it means to go into hypersquatch mode. Now that we've finished discussing the various types of hauntings, I think it would be a good time to discuss what our team actually considers as paranormal evidence. Honestly, I'd like to think that our team has a fairly high bar for what we consider as evidence. We have pretty much stuck to straight audio and video over the years. We don't consider lens flares, dust orbs, EMF contact sessions, or photos of pareidolia as evidence. I see other teams posting evidence nearly every day on our social media feeds. If you have to put a red circle around something to show people what you're seeing, just let it go. Personally, I've always been an audio-video type of guy. I think that video is extremely important to document your experiences. I really don't even use still photography anymore, other than for promotion. Taking a photo is the equivalent of taking a sentence out of a novel. It doesn't give you a full idea or context of what is actually happening. It only provides a fraction of the overall experience. I want to see what happened before the said incident, during, and after it, to come to a full conclusion and make a determination for myself. I know some investigators won't always agree with our viewpoints but I do think that they need to be more critical with their evidence review sessions. To be a credible investigator, you need to be looking for reasonable explanations to your possible evidence. Keeping that in mind, a lot of paranormal equipment being used in the community at the moment is suspect at best. While some of the evidence collecting gadgets are presented as being credible, in reality it couldn't be any further from the truth. Don't just blindly believe what you've seen or been sold from popular TV shows. Test your devices out in the field and determine their strengths and flaws. Unfortunately, most of these gadgets won't give you the results you're looking for. I will be breaking down several of these popular ghost hunting devices on our next episode. 
Well, guys, we've reached the end of our first episode. I hope you guys are looking forward to future episodes and content. Next month, we'll be taking a hard and critical look at ghost hunting equipment. Join us on January 29, 2022 at the Hidden Marietta Paranormal Exposition at the historic Lafayette Hotel in Marietta, Ohio. We'll be there from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. We'll also be at the Parasycon 3 at the Ohio State Reformatory on May 21st and May 22nd, 2022. We'll be there on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. As always, you can reach out to us on social media. We're currently on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and even TikTok. You can also visit our official website at cbusparanormal.com. Thank you once again for listening, and we will see you next month.